The Athletic. Hello everyone, welcome to the 64th edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'm Michael Bailey, I hope this finds you safe and well. On the way, Farker's flexible friends banning the horizontal pass and insert potential bee sting pun here. Uh, we, oh, I didn't do the pun. We will work through all this and more with our guests this evening, former Norwich City Press Officer Ben Mamser. Hello Michael. And our own Scottish maestro commentator and journalist Stuart Hodge. Bonsoir, mes amis. Thank you uh, for joining us, guys. How are... Well, I hope everyone out there is well. How are we here on the pod? Ben, how are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you, Michael. And a belated but big happy birthday to you for <laughs> the age, which I'm not going to mention unless you give me express permission yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, go for it, yes. 40, the Just big 4-0. 4, the four big zero. Four oh. I mean, I'm still high on the birthday element. I think by the time March properly kicks in, I'll, you know, be like, oh God, 40. <laughs> That's old. Um, but yeah, thank you. Although expected age of 26. So, you know, I'm going to revel in that. <laughs> that yeah, was... I'm reveling in Chris Gorham's tweet. I thought that was magnificent. Like That was uh... without doubt the second best tweet of 2021. <laughs> what was the first? Obviously, Dan Brigham's tweet about Stuart Broad getting engaged. Did did you see that? That went no. that genuinely went viral. Yeah, did yeah. The England England cricketer Stuart Broad. Yeah, yeah. Dan did this amazing tweet, which I mean is only kind of you only get it if you if you follow cricket. But um, amazing. Yeah, so he he also know. hasn't told me to bring that up, but it was an amazing tweet. But the Chris Gorham's one was a very close second. Just didn't have the wider kind of virality. <laughs> no, clearly not. It was my birthday, <laughs> and and XA, which if we extrapolate some uh, some journalist thoughts on XG, is an age that doesn't really happen. <laughs> so, uh, but we maybe won't get stuck into that. It was. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chris Gorham, for just a wonderful tweet, and what a lovely man he is as well. Um, so glad you're well, Ben. Stu, how are you? I'm not too bad. I've actually just looked something up. Do you know Norwich have had two number 40s in their history? Very quickly, uh, just want to hazard the guess at who those were. Oh, wow. What a question that is. No. Can we leave it until the end of the pod? And I'll try and yes. think about it. Yes. Two number four. So two players have won 40. Uh, yeah. Well, I'll give you a clue. They won't have won it very much. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> That's a great question. Or... Aye. So not, anyway, but I, I am well. I am well. Uh, I have seen quite a lot of Norwich City as well as uh, many of our top of the table rivals recently. So, yeah, a lot of Brentford. A um, lot of Brentford. And I also did a Swansea game. Uh, so yeah, like kind of seen quite a bit of, a bit of all of them. In which which in fairness. Part-time comms. I was going to say, which in fairness deserves a shout out for your back with, what was it? Back with Kabango. Kabang oh, right. See, everybody's going to think I'm sort of beating my own drum here. But I brought I it up. Am. I brought it up. I, no, no, no. And I am um, like, there was, a, there was a hashtag that you used in the tweet, which I really liked. Um, I, uh, so what it was, Swansea City were playing Coventry. Uh, ben Cabango was restored to the team, big towering defender. Connor comes in from Connor Hurahan, which is the correct pronunciation, by the way, not Hurahan. He's come out himself and said it. Um, so he sends the ball in, Ben Cabango heads it in. And I say Ben Cabango with the opener, back with a bango, it's Ben Cabango for Swansea. Um, which is a reference for if anybody doesn't know to, I bet you look good on the dance floor, the Arctic Monkeys hit of the late noughties. Oh God, you're making me feel old. <laughs> um, wonderful moment. 
Do you know what? As goal calls go, a lot of people script them. I think commentaries in the art of improvisation, and that was one where um, my producer was like peeing himself laughing at the other end of the, the talk back. So <laughs> you didn't that script that? Genuinely didn't script it. In wow. fairness, loads of people have accused you of scripting it, <laughs> which is just the joy I've of noticed. But, um, you know, the joy of Twitter is also Birmingham City fans arguing amongst themselves as if they were each Norwich fans because they didn't <laughs> look. So um, the joys of Twitter. Um, and we all love it because we're all there. Um, right. Before we crack on with the main pod and a bit more Norwich City chat, uh, we have a message um, to do with The Athletic. And I'm going to bring in my uh, special uh, voice uh, artist for this uh, message. Please enjoy. Am, am I like, can I just do this as a voiceover or am I actually going into it as part of the well, pod? Do you know what I mean? I'm really hoping producer Ollie leaves this bit in now. <laughs> ben, over <laughs> to you. Okay. <clears throat> right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. So go to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Beautiful. We'll be doing that, that. That was really well done. Can I, can I just say, Michael, I've, you know me, I've got a lot of respect for you as a journalist, but I love that. the bit where it says experienced football, uh, all the best football writers, as well as, and then in my head, I'm just going, Michael. Michael yeah. Well, to be fair, <laughs> that's all, that's what I always say. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, I'm well aware. I'm well aware. I tell you what, let's crack on, shall we, with this week's headline act. So this week I wrote a piece on uh, Ollie Skip and Kenny McLean and then Daniel Farker infiltrated it. But basically, I mean, there's a lot being written about Ollie Skip. I feel like we've spoken a lot about Ollie Skip, but my pieces at the moment, they're sort of, I'm writing one and then something spinning off um, to write another one off the back of it. There's probably a thread of about three or four pieces now all, t- all intertwined. But uh, this week off the back of, of the recent ones, um, I wanted to just have a proper look at Ollie Skip and Kenny McLean's um role basically as the duo in in the the two holding midfield roles roles of daniel farkas four two three one you can read the piece on the athletic it is up and it is live right now and i think i was able to look at them in recent games we've had a chat about them on the podcast in recent weeks and really get a a feel for what they're doing and, and why the role has evolved um but it didn't quite go to go to plan i guess because uh, Daniel Farker made uh, quite a crucial change at halftime against Wickham, which led to two goals in the second half and a 2-0 win in the end. Um, Ollie Skip moving into uh, the right-sided centre-back role of a back three. Kenny McCain being a bit, a bit more central, but in a, in a pairing with Mario Vrancic, really, and the fullbacks ending up more as midfielders um, in terms of Aaron's and Yanulis. And that Wickham couldn't really deal with that change. So, uh, And the one thing that struck me, Ben, was that having spoken to people after the game, that, that halftime change, I think, you know, a lot of the group were like, oh yeah, Daniel Farker nailed that because it it just changed the dynamic of the game. They, they literally, I know that it was sort of ebbed and flowed, but that those first 10 minutes of the second half, I think that Norwich could have blown Wickham away at that point. Yeah, the quality we showed in, the, in just after halftime was extraordinary, really. We could have had four goals, I think, in that period, which was completely different to the first half, where obviously we were the, the kind of dominant force in the game, but we didn't actually really create what you'd call a clear-cut chance. So Daniel Farker obviously knew he had to change something. Um, I think it's interesting because, to be honest, Michael, I didn't really pick up on the kind of structure change that you've spoken about, but obviously that it's a very fluid kind of system, isn't it? And the, the idea of getting Max Aaron's more involved 
in, in a kind of more advanced areas with Buendia playing more centrally is an obvious route to kind of more attacking football for Norwich. Um, but yeah, it made a whole, a whole load of difference. And to bring it back to Skip and McLean, it, it really goes to show that their, their roles this season, which by the way, I think how they've performed and how that midfield double pivot um, works is one of the most interesting talking points this season. It shows that their, their kind of dynamism allows us to kind of completely change the way we're playing um, and, and really kind of affect games in different way when you come up against a unique challenge um, like Wickham posed on Sunday. Absolutely. Mm. I think um, the main thing that struck me about the, the the sort of change and that period that you mentioned after halftime, having watched a lot of championship football this season, what you found is because of a very condensed COVID calendar, you're finding, and maybe the effect of no fans in the grounds, you're finding that games are having periods of tempo and then periods of lethargy. So what happened is after halftime, we had a period where we had real tempo. But the fact that it was a managerial change that had instigated that, I think is just, I mean, we've all, we've all sort of lauded Daniel Fark at various points for, for his proactiveness as a coach. I, I think this was a good example of where the, the, the coaching sort of side had part of it, but also just coming out after halftime with a period of sort of enthusiasm where we showed the quality difference between the two sides and made it absolutely stark with the type of football that we were playing. And that's what Norwich City are capable of. But also I loved seeing that element of flexibility because what it shows you is it shows you that you, you've got a manager that recognises when something needs changed up rhythm-wise. You know, and I think there's been so many games where, yeah, we might have squeaked by with the odd goal, but some games you kind of just feel like, are Norwich going to do it? You're, you're asking yourself that question. More often than not, the answer has been yes. But what we what, what was shown in that game is we actually sort of took the impetus and went, no, do you know what? We're actually going to do it. And that, I think, was... I saw some sort of stuff on Twitter after the game from, from the journalists such as yourself saying that the, the players really recognised that as a big victory. There was a lot of cheering sort of in the dressing room after the game. And I think that just shows the collectiveness, the the the, the fact that the, the group is a real unit really together. And it was just, it was a good game for many reasons. And obviously great to see Adam Ida getting a goal as well. Um, I, I think it was just a great afternoon all round for Norwich City in lots of ways. It was def- definitely a, a really big victory for them especially with some of the stuff that happened um the previous day as well um i'm glad you picked up on the fact you didn't necessarily spot the change at halftime because the confession here neither did i really and it was quite difficult at pitch level anyway to see it because all you're really doing is moving ollie slip slightly deeper and as you say allowing max max on a bit and kenny was still operating in the middle and it emphasized the fluidity in their roles and the the way, and I think this is what the piece gets into, which I'm really glad it does by just looking at the heat maps of um, Tetty and Alex Tetty and Tom Tribal from uh, three championship seasons ago. So Daniel Farkas' first season in charge, but also then the role Kenny um, and Tetty, but also when Tom Tribal was in the role as well, because I think Tom played more than both of those two that se- uh, in the season Norwich went up as champions. How, how different the role is that Kenny and Ollie Skip are playing now in terms of coming a lot wider, a lot more often, a lot more touches the ball wider as they fill in the fullbacks, but also covering as pairs on the same flank that maybe the other side is transitioning and just the amount of covering and work and how... Um, how it's a very well-oiled machine. You know, they know what they're doing very well. You can see how well coached they are and as, a, as a pair. And obviously they also know 
what each other are doing and, and have sort of learned that and being coached that as well. And that is a great protection, really. And so I saw someone message me saying, well, if, if you replaced Kenny with, with Lucas Rupp, it'd be the same kind of thing and you could then push Kenny on. on. But I don't know. I, I, I think Kenny's done so well in recent weeks. I'm not saying Luke, Lucas hasn't got that, but there's probably a, a, a more defensive awareness I get from, from Kenny, maybe. I, I, I don't know. But it, it's really interesting how that, that, those two roles have evolved. Although they didn't win the game on Sunday, they, they've evolved, evolved hugely. And it's great to see that progress and thought and change take place after last season. What I guess will also be interesting is how they then adapt that, should, touch wood, Norwich go up um, who gets to do it and whether they can do it in the same way and whether that is a, a real key piece to doing something better in the Premier League we don't know Ollie Skip's future obviously we've spoken about it a lot we're going to keep talking about it it's not going to go away this subject until probably August <laughs> um, I am conscious of whether if Tottenham did change manager whether that might affect things because at the moment I don't know if Jose Mourinho really want to bother with Ollie Skip next season in the Premier League you get someone else in and maybe they would you don't know We'll have to see. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Likewise, uh, Ben, have we seen enough from Kenny McLean that he is able to do the same job in the Premier League? I mean, last season we came out of it thinking, well, actually, he's done as well as anyone really this year. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I thought he was good last season, um, largely in in a bad team. I don't know. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? It it all kind of comes back to: Are we going to play with this kind of? shape and fluidity in the Premier League when we're coming up against teams who are going to um, obviously put us under a lot more pressure. It's going to be interesting to see how this kind of the, the, the stuff we've been talking about comes comes to the fore against Brentford, who are obviously the leading scorers in the division. You, you know they're going to ha- get into more advanced positions than certainly Wickham did. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how, how those roles um, ch- um, do it. But I think, I, look, I've, always, I've always liked Kenny McLean. I think he's he's got some unfair criticism from Norwich fans during his time here. Not so much recently because he's obviously he's been obviously excellent recently, um, but uh, yeah, I, I just think he's a really dynamic player. Um, and as you say, Michael, his his defensive kind of awareness positioning wasn't something that was immediately obvious to me when he first joined the club. But it's something maybe he has developed and Daniel Farker has sort of helped him with. There's a couple of points I want to. I there's there's a couple of points I am quite sort of want to pick up on 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 what both of you were saying. So first thing is with Kenny McLean specifically, I remember having a chat with you, Michael, on a different channel um, when Kenny McLean signed for the club, and what I said at that point, I was asked the question that night: Is he a six or is he an eight? And I says he can do both. And to be honest, for the most part, we've seen a lot of the eight but we hadn't seen much of the number six. Now, what he's doing is he's proving that he's got that in his locker, and he did already have that, albeit at a different level, in the Scottish Premiership when he was playing with Aberdeen. But I think the other thing that has happened is, and we spoke about this at the start of the season in terms of the recruitment and the way that Norwich were looking at it, particularly in the midfield area, is we have totally changed our setup there. We are a lot less open uh, the football's not the same verve-filled, swashbuckling, 
enjoyable orchestra that we had going on two years ago when we, we we sort of got up and and not as dramatic none of that but I'll tell you what it's probably a lot more effective this team I reckon would beat that team and the main thing that I would point out is if you look particularly when you're talking about the way that the midfield players are covering for the fullbacks, that is a big, big area of focus that you can see Norwich City were getting exploited time and time and time again in the Premier League, where teams were running over them whenever Max Aaron's bombed on or, or whoever's playing on the other side, usually Jamal, um, would do that. Now, what you're seeing now is whenever Max goes forward, all he skips, first thought is immediately, right, I'm covering that position. Right, and and that is that is something that seems to be innate and inbuilt. Now, with that in mind, I think that Norwich City have made themselves a lot less open, a lot tougher to beat, and a lot tougher to score against as a result of that. And it also kind of gives me hope for you said if Michael, I'm going to say when Norwich City do go up, uh, when when Norwich go up, I think this sort of rendition and this style of team has more chance of sort of punching above its weight because we're a lot less open, we're a lot less easy to score against and get at. Plus, there's also the added fact that a few of the younger players have that extra sort of year or two's experience and that could really benefit us. But there's no doubt that the Ollie Skip and Kenny McLean have been absolutely pivotal to that. And also, uh, in fact, I'll throw it back at you guys, best Norwich central midfield pairing since who? We'll throw it out to the listeners. Let us know. But um, yeah. I think, uh, I think, I mean, Lambert didn't, are we allowed to talk about Paul Lambert? Paul Lambert didn't really play with the midfield pairing. So he mostly played with the diamonds. So, um, Houston and Teddy was pretty good in the Premier League at times. That was going to be, that was going to be main. Let I us know everyone. Uh, th- but I, I think what Daniel Fark is doing with, with this pair is, is pretty groundbreaking, actually. It's kind of, in, certainly at championship level, to, to kind of, he's almost redefining what a holding midfielder is because they're doing so much um, in possession, out of possession. It's, it's generally made me kind of look at, look at football completely differently. The way we've kind of, we've done that this season. It's, it's, it's really, it's really great stuff. One, one area they both need to improve is their, um, I don't want to call quality in the final third, but maybe, maybe their ability to make an impact in the final third and get into the positions where they can make an impact. Um, Kenny McLean got in a great position against Wickham and his his shot wasn't that great. I think Farker has said he wants Ollie skipped and maybe maybe push forward a bit more, which he has been doing a bit more recently. But if, if they can somehow be the complete central midfielders by adding a chipping in with a couple more goals and positive impacts in the final third, then it's really like the perfect midfield too, I think. I might I might call you out a little bit there, Ben, because um Kenny's had an assist in his last two games. And is so much more productive in the final third than Ollie Skip, who does. I think he would. The fact yeah. he's nineteen, I think in maybe five or five or six years' time, he, and he, if he's doing that as well, he will be top of the class in terms of what he's got. Um, yeah, yeah. So, but definitely. Hey, we all want. I'm more, more thinking. I'm more thinking of situations where maybe we've we've moved down the flanks and we're looking for somebody to be on the end of a it's more of like an attacking instinct to maybe get the, a goal the late burst into the box yeah, yeah. Uh, the late run into the box I, I think that is a factor but really interesting comment for you Ben about the, the fact that they are redefining because I think there's always this clamour to say a midfielder is this role right if you look at yeah. both of them they are just they're kind of doing such a plethora of different things that 
they're screening at times, they're box to box at times, you know what I mean? They're taking the role as the sort of primary playmaker at times. There's there's various different sort of things that are happening between them, but it's it's the synergy between that and the wing backs as well. That's what's really interesting for me. And the centre backs. Yeah. But that's yeah. exactly that, because in the first half, again, although it didn't really work necessarily um, in, in terms of it was, it was still so interesting to see that how the other of the two pivots would be positioned between the centre backs and, and how if the ball was the other side, then um, they, they would allow basically Ben Gibson to step out because Kenny McLean was basically sat in as the other centre back. And I, I think it was months ago when I first saw Ollie Skip repeatedly coming into the fullback position, I was like, and as soon as you pick up on it, you're like, well, God, that really makes sense. And then you see it all sort of map out. I agree with you, Ben. It's 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 remarkable. Really. And like I say, I, mean, I, it's, I suppose a lot was made of Pep Guardiola bringing in um, inverted fullbacks and all this sort of stuff. We're, we're almost seeing a variation of that with with the holding midfielders in a way. And, and Michael, he's doing that with a, one player who's playing in his first season of professional football and another player who cost £200,000 from Aberdeen. That, that's like... Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think the one thing about all this is, is how good is Ollie Skip going to be as well, which just keeps floating around in the back of my mind, but we don't know the answer to that yet. He would definitely benefit from a season of regular football in the Premier League at a team who are going to be maybe under the cosh more than Tottenham. So 100%. let's hope think, that he finds a space at a team like that next season. Uh, you know, I've said this all along. Don't rule it out. Don't just assume he's going back at Spurs and that'll be that. And I'll keep saying that. Um Right. Well, that was fun. Uh, also, just on the defensive record, Norwich have actually been obviously a lot tighter this year, conceded fewer goals. Um, I noticed from midweek, and again, dig out this piece, that is really much more about the control Norwich are exuding, the lack of time behind in games. They've been behind in one game since Boxing Day, uh, which was obviously Swansea, but that they're not having to scrap back and recover themselves, which is very different from two years ago and hopefully something that they can build on. Read that piece. Let's move on, shall we? Two things we are not going to talk about. These are the things that have happened and deserve acknowledgement, but we are only going to acknowledge them by stating how we are not going to talk about them. Makes sense? Good. Uh, we also only have three minutes. Strict rule. Three minutes, boys. Cue the dramatic music, please, producer Ollie. Right, here we go. This week, we are not going to talk about... Uh, I'm not going to talk about beating Birmingham. Uh, first half was fairly rubbish, but again, that control element... Uh, Norwich came good in the end and Ben Gibson's back from his injury which is great it was a lovely tweet from Todd Campbell on that as well which was nice to see uh, likewise poor old Todd he seems to be getting these niggling injuries so he's under 50% likely to face Brentford which is a, a bit of a blow but we're not going to talk about that you guys Ben what am I not talking about that? yeah <laughs> well I want to talk I don't <laughs> um, I was, I was interested three minutes, to three, three minutes ben. No. go go <laughs> Gareth Ainsworth's description of Wickham's tactics as a deep press, which I've never heard before. A deep press. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't. It was a low block. Was that, was that a thing? It was no, a low block. No, yeah. They were just sat there. I mean, they occasionally pressed Norwich, but it was very occasional. And then the amazing sight of five substitutes in one go. And all of a sudden, he's like, right, we're going to high press now. And away they went. They just went high yeah, press. actually, them. Like, oh, it right. worked. <laughs> it worked because we were in danger. And so we've yes. credited Daniel Farker for changing the game. But actually, credit then to Gareth Ainsworth for well, changing maybe, it back but, again. I mean, his side can only cope with a high press for... 30 minutes I mean how should, or 20 minutes that's literally what he said we can't do it all game it's like well okay uh, yeah I don't mm. know maybe they'd have got themselves ahead in the first 20 minutes and then they could have been in a low block whilst one nil up for the remaining 70 minutes I don't know but mm. there we go anyway it's only Wickham so we're not going to talk about that 
I'm not going to talk about the fact that Russell Martin made a very interesting comment on Sky Sports about the relationship between Emmy Wendy and Temu Puki. And he said that there's no anxiety for him or Puki when they get into attacking areas. And I just loved that choice of words because I thought it kind of summed up uh, what Norwich need to do next season. Because if we go into the Premier League and we get nervous anytime we get into those attacking areas and that is the way that it sort of manifests then we're going to end up not scoring from the fewer number of chances that we've got whereas if we manage to show that same confidence then it could be pivotal next season but we're not going to talk about next season yet i'm going to ban that myself um <laughs> uh, what else do we have uh, pep guardiola don't want to talk about pep guardiola apparently he loves watching daniel farker when he relaxes i mean i don't know if it's exactly what he said but daniel farker he loves loved... watching daniel farker well his team his team um <laughs> what we do know now is that they speak a lot and they're good friends and that daniel farker really enjoyed being asked um about pep guardiola i'm sure he did <laughs> oh no not going to talk about the fact that uh, Daniel Farka and Gareth Ainsworth are clearly in some sort of speed metal band together, <laughs> uh, judging yeah. by their, their antics after the game yesterday. They love each Thomas other. Thomas Frank as well. Um, I don't want to talk about, I'm not, I don't want to criticise Onel Hernandez too much. Um, obviously, this is his first game back. I actually thought he physically, he looks in really good shape. I don't know if you think this, Michael, having watched, I think he looks like sharp. He looks, he looks kind of the, the physical threat that Onel offers, but obviously in that period, at, at the beginning of the second half when we were creating those chances, he didn't show himself up in, in the best of light. And I, I often think with Onel, the idea of Hernandez is better than the kind of reality. But um, I think he... And it's interesting to see how he's going to dovetail with Yanulis. I, I think that's interesting. Um, and whether that will actually work, whether I believe that can work, I'm not sure if I do. But first game back, I still think he has something to offer and let's not judge him too quickly on heavy touches and missed opportunities. I, I have to say, I thought, you know, I wanted him to do much better. I could have seen him coming off, but by the same token as a performance and as a chance to get some minutes under his belt and, you know, hopefully a chance to find some sharpness, I would still start him against Brentford, I have to say, personally, because I've almost wasted it. I, I hope this comment comes back to bite me in the bum, but he's a player that can affect games in the Championship. I don't see him doing that much in the Prem. Ouch. Um, I think that's everything. The music is certainly finished. Um, don't want to talk about Norwich cleaning the dressing room. They've done it everywhere they've been, but Wickham decided to highlight it, which is very good of them. Uh, Norwich doing it with a bit of class, which is nice. Um, and Paul Lampers left Ipswich, but we're not going to talk about that, obviously. By um, the way, just, uh, just to point out, that was after his first run of successive wins since Halloween. And, and yes, the timing was curious, but as we know, and as you'll have read on The Athletic, we think there's a takeover coming at Ipswich Town, but don't really care, to be honest. Good for them. They can turn up with their banknotes again. That'll be exciting. Um, <laughs> right. That's the end of uh, things I don't want to talk about. Uh, there is something that I did want to talk about now, um, which is just to pass on our, our thoughts and condolences to Glenn Roder's family and friends. Um, the former Norwich City manager uh, died. It was announced on Sunday at the age of just 65. Um obviously this popped up on the radio while I was uh, driving back from Wickham yesterday. And um, I mean, 65 really feels like no age. And we're all aware of the brain tumor that, that Glenn Roder had um, while he was West Ham manager and all the battles he, he had to go through to, and then coming back into the game and, and, and doing a job he so clearly loved a, a lot of his, I was slightly wary of when, when the news broke because 
I, I know the reaction a lot of people in this part of the world have to Glen Roder. I've been well aware of that, but um, I certainly wanted to pass on our our wishes and thoughts and and just say that I mean Glen Roder. I remember Glen Roder got the Norwich job. Um, he was announced his press conference the morning after I had a phone call from Archant saying I'd got the job on the sports desk at, at Norwich, my first journalism job. So um, that was an amazing moment for me. So happy at that. Um, I only got it because someone else turned it down, by the way. Um, but um, I don't know if that was the case for Glen Roder. Um, but um, so I always felt a little bit um, inextricably linked with, with Glenn because he was the first manager who I sort of dealt with in terms of Norwich City in the job, having been a supporter, obviously, since, you know, six or whatever. And who was it? Do you know Well, this was the point, really. It was a real initial divergence, I think, from being a supporter to being a journalist because Glenn was great to deal with. He was a lovely guy um, to deal with, with us. And um, he, he'd give you some good answers. He'd, he'd have his moments, <laughs> but generally it was great. And I, I'm well aware of obviously what happened around the club, which has to be said, wasn't in, there's a lot of things that happen with, with individuals. And, and, you know, I know that Darren Huckabee obviously is, was mortified with how it ended for him at Norwich and, and, and held Glenn responsible for that. But um, it, so much of it was also around the club at the time and so many other factors. And I, I think it's, it's been generally good to see that actually that has been put in its place. Like when, when, when it's such horrible news. And as I said, I thoughts with everyone who, who knew Glenn really well um, and will have been personally devastated by his loss. I think that is by far and away more important and actually reflecting on that and how much he brought and the, the, the stories of how he affected people in, in so many good ways. I think, um, it was just nice to see that resonating more. So I just the, the, wanted to make are, a point the, of mentioning him, really. The one thing that I would say is, for all that, that some people have a sort of negative vibe on, on his time as Norwich boss, there, there was loads of good stuff that he did. I did a piece, an interview with John Kennedy a couple of years back, and it was Glenn Roder who signed him. And, and John Kennedy was obviously devastated by injuries, had to retire early. But Glenn Roder really, really made him feel what he wanted him, really, really made him feel welcome. And, and John sent me a text earlier just... Uh, and John just says he's a terrific guy. Re really sorry to hear the the news, you know. Um, but John also in that interview with me reinforced like just how hungry Glenn Roder was when he was like wanting his man, like trying to recruit his man. And even though maybe some aspects of, of his time in his Norwich City tenure weren't ideal, uh, I mean, this was a guy that, that did his best for the football club. And yeah, as you say, mate, stuff like this transcends football. Okay, time for this week's centerfold. Which is basically this week a, a plug to read my piece on horizontal passes. Now, if I can take you back to the Stoke game when Norwich won four one, but at, at one point it was uh, it went to two one because Dimitris Yanoulis in I think it was his third game uh, for the club played a wonderfully ridiculous uh, ball right across his own penalty area straight to Nick Powell, who obviously then beat Tim Krul because he had a free shot at the goalkeeper completely exposed. And everyone was like, "What are you doing?" Um, well, I spoke to Dimitris as you would have heard actually in last week's pod, and he was trying to clip the ball over. Nick Powell, but it, it brought this comment after the game from Daniel Farker saying horizontal passes are banned. They are one of my principles in football, basically, to ban horizontal passes. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like Norwich are the most possession-based side in the championship. They love keeping the ball. How could you possibly go around saying, yeah, keep the ball, but don't whatever you do, play one square? <laughs> and I was like, that's ridiculous. So um I asked Daniel about it. Daniel Farker, that is. I shouldn't use his first name, really, should I? And um, it was a really interesting answer in terms of how what it really means is no one can play that 
horizontal pass, a pass across the pitch, unless they can guarantee it's going to reach a teammate, which obviously requires it to be quite short distance, you know, quite close in. Or uh, if it's going to be distance, it needs to be in the air. Because basically what you can't do is have someone cutting it out because there's no way of protecting yourself if a pass like that gets caught out. And as soon as I'd sort of processed that and worked it out, I then watched a few games and it was remarkable how Norwich go about their passing yet don't play square passes and you can see them turning down or going backwards and Norwich only play a third of their passes forward (laughs) they play by far and away the most passes of anyone yet only a third of them are in forward direction obviously they're also turning them down you know unless they can guarantee them horizontally so it was a lovely ended up being quite a deep dive into how Norwich sort of go about their passing structures but it's really interesting and what struck me Ben is once you've seen that and see the thinking you can't kind of unsee it and it's you kind of kind of appreciate how how much detail is really going into how Norwich they don't just sit there passing the ball around and looking for someone to play the ball to which I know sounds obvious but there is so much little detail that goes into it yeah it's amazing isn't it I think when I saw those quotes from Daniel Farker I, my, I went through the same thought process as you Michael oh that's really interesting and then obviously you went went away and wrote a piece about it I think it shows um also how Farker has adapted as a coach during his time at Norwich. I think in, in, especially in that first season, there are so many games where it felt like we were just passing side to side and that there wasn't that penetration. Obviously the, <laughs> the idea of passing it across your own box horizontally is one of the oldest things you learn. And one of the oldest rules in like football, you know, you learn that when you're playing um, Sunday, Sunday league stuff. <laughs> but actually, I think it's a lot more interesting when you're thinking about it in kind of a progressive context, when, you, when you're moving, when, you, when, you, when you're in possession and moving the ball forward. And I think in football, football possession oriented football has kind of moved on from the Guardiola Barcelona kind of era of tiki taka side passes absolute possession to kind of this kind of style of possession where you are moving the ball forward more quickly looking for more forward passes always looking for kind of to progress the the ball up the pitch I think one of Daniel Farker's um, coaching kind of I don't say heroes, but obviously he worked very closely with Thomas Tuchel at Dortmund. And that's a style I think that he implements. Um, Maurizio Sarri is famous for kind of this vertical passing style that that we talk about. So I think it is, you know, outside of just the Norwich bubble, it is a kind of trend. But again, it's really interesting. (laughs) One example for it for me is when, how many times we've seen Grant Hanley in possession, like feign and cut inside when you think, oh, the easy thing to do would be to just pass it across to another player like to usually Gibson or Aaron's actually he just feigns and, and drops the shoulder and comes inside and then plays a much more kind of progressive pass up the pitch. Especially when he's allowed to like Middlesbrough did. Yeah. Um, so I hope you enjoyed that piece. Uh, let's uh, rattle on. Shall we too? This is just like fantasy football, which obviously means Q John Motson, who's just going to say the same words. This is almost fantasy football. Pretty much. Uh, we are recording as we usually do on Monday, but it's quite the midweek in store. Um, it's quite a week, in fact. Uh, so first up, we have Wednesday tea time, 5.30 kickoff. Don't miss it. Brentford at Carrow Road. Then it's Luton who visit Carrow Road on Saturday. And I think Norwich owe them one, if not two. Uh, so as always, and maybe more keenly than usual, let's paint a picture of the forthcoming seven days and then let you laugh at what we've created with the valuable gift of hindsight. So let's paint this picture. Uh, Oh, it's a cracking game in store, isn't it, Stu? This Brentford game is going to be a cracker. Cannot wait. Um, now that we've said that, we'll finish. No, no. Do you know what, right? This is the point where I have to come with an element of contrition, my cap in my hand, um, metaphorically. Last time I was on this podcast, I had just commentated on Brentford going to Borough. And Ab- now, bear in mind, this is Neil Warnock's Borough team, right? Where it's like, oh, it's going to be tough to be, you know? Right, that was the that was only one like impression, by the way. I think it was very good. Um, so they absolutely dis- 
destroyed them. Like, it was really, really blew me away just how good they were. And then I went on your podcast and a couple others in the coming in the week after it, and I just said, "Yeah, Brentford are going to win the league." Proclaimed it from my um, wherever I was standing or sitting, usually. And I, at that point, I was carried away, I think, by what I'd just seen. Um, I now believe that uh, Norwich City are hopefully going to don't, see. Don't, over don't, don't jinx! No, Norwich. no, no, Steve, no! What are you, what are you doing? doing? No, no, thanks. No, not going to happen. You've already okay. done it once earlier in the pod. <laughs> You already did it once. They don't know that when they go up. No, no, no. Sorry. I'm blasé about it. I think it will happen. I won't won't say the second thing, but uh, I also did call on this podcast in January last year that we would get relegated. So, um, yeah. I I mean, you you can say 100 points and 100 goals if you want, but it it has to be said with your tongue in your cheek. Okay, right. Well, what I will say is Brentford are really, really good. Ivan Tony is red hot right now. Yeah, I've watched Brentford quite a lot and I've been so, so impressed by just the style with which they attack the game. And it's kind of reminiscent a wee bit of the Norwich team of two years ago, not necessarily stylistically, but just the sort of entertainment value that's packed in. Uh, Any Brentford game is going to be, I mean, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed goals and that's very exciting as a football fan. So hopefully there are some goals in the game against Norwich City. But I think for Norwich City, the way you want the game to go is you want us to have control of the game and it not to be too dramatic. And that would prove that we are doing a good, effective job. Um, So in a way, even though we're really looking forward to it and it should be a cracking game, the more boring it can be or the, the less sort of fluctuating kind of dramatic moments there are, I think the better Norwich City's outcome will be. It's been interesting against the better sides that the games have actually done that. They've really fluctuated from... 15 minutes to 15 minute spells for each side. I mean, I have to say Watford, Bournemouth, uh, Swansea and Brentford are by f- some distance the best sides Norwich have played this season. I don't think there's much between them, actually, but just in terms of the quality, you could just sense how, how different it is. I mean, the bit in me that I probably can't repress, which is the eight-year-old that went to my first game as a Norwich fan, just has... Thomas Frank sitting there going, yeah, there's no outstanding team in the in the division this season. When Norwich actually had um, more points than Leeds did last season, when he said Leeds were outstanding. I just want to go, you know what, Thomas, we're just going to go and beat you by a couple and then you know, see you later. I know football doesn't work like that, but there's just that seed in me. And I, then there's also a bit where you just hope that seed's in the squad on Wednesday and they just go and put in a, one of those statement wins Ellen Road, Leeds United, that sort of statement. Yeah. Oh, that's, there's a bit. Now, don't get me wrong. If it's a goalless draw, happy days because that's a cracking result, really, all, all told. But there's just that bit in me, which I, why I couldn't be a footballer because I'd be too emotionally drained by that thought <laughs> that I wouldn't be able to carry out the routine, mundane basics of a football match to win it. Uh, ben, I appreciate you laughing at that. I'm worried about the left, Michael, and that's not a comment on the political landscape in this country. I'm worried about. <laughs> please, um, don't, please don't. <laughs> I'm worried about our left hand side. First of all, the absence of Todd Cantwell. It sounds like he's going to miss this game um, again. And obviously, against Wickham, it didn't really matter ultimately, but I feel like just his ability to pull teams out of shape and his movement and his obviously quality in possession. We, you know, we're a worse side without the Todd Cantwell who's been playing in recent weeks in our team. And then I think it's a, it represents a new challenge for Dimitris Yanoulis as well, who defensively hasn't been put under a huge amount of pressure yet. And I think a lot of Brentford's kind of dynamism in the final third comes from Brian and Buemo and, and and Ivan Tony in the kind of in those kind of areas where he might he might um, be a bit more 
susceptible. But I'm not saying he's not going to rise to that challenge. I'm just interested to see how how he does against a team who have scored 14 more goals than us in the in the division and obviously the division's leading scorers. I think it's going to be interesting how Brentford construct their midfield as well because they have different personnel and they're a different team depending on which personnel they deploy. So, I mean, in terms of the attacking, sort of the, the front three kind of played regardless of which of the sort of main four uh, cast members, including obviously former Norwich man Sergi Canos, uh, that they tend to play there's usually a, a sort of specific way that they're going to go about it. But the, the midfield three, it depends which personnel he deploys, the way that, that Brentford tend to, to play it. So if you play the Silva, it tends to be a bit slower, whereas Jensen's a bit more of a box-to-box player. Godos, by the way, is a really, really good footballer. He's he's really talented. And Vitaly Janel scored a oh, brilliant goal. Lovely. Yeah, it was a really, really good goal. Uh, but I think the other thing about Brentford is they've got the ability to mix it up. And that's something that Norwich City have dealt with much, much better this season. But Brentford, for all that they play with a lot of attacking gusto, and they, they do play some nice, fluid football, they're not scared to launch it. And Ivan Tony's winner against Stoke came from a flick on from Mbemo. And uh, Tony, obviously, as he's done all season, 25 goals now. It's, Stu, it's you've watched more of Ivan Tony than me over like the course of mat, like full matches. I'm slightly concerned about how his kind of physicality and mobility might concern our two central defenders who have been obviously excellent, but maybe mobility might trouble them. It's going to be an interesting watch, I think, and the sternest examination of what's been an absolutely brilliant centre-back pairing's credentials. I think this Brentford front three are going to provide that. And as I say, it's the it's the kind of second wave of it from the midfield. For all that we're eulogising and rhapsodising about how, how good the, the, the midfield two have been at doing a variety of jobs, this is going to be another test for them again to see how they can do that against this particular team. And... It's, it's going to be really interesting tactically. The other thing I would say about this is, for all that we were saying earlier on about how championship games have kind of peaks and troughs in terms of tempo and stuff, this feels like a game where both teams are going to be going at it, hammer and tongs, like the hunger and and, and the vigour to get the result is going to be there. I mean, this, this is Brentford's chance to stay right, like sort of lay down a marker, title sort of credentials. I was going to say, we'll be, we'll, like you said, it will be really interesting how Brentford take it on because it, if they see Norwich in their sights, then they will go for it, won't they? But I, I mean, it depends where they really view their challenge, I suppose, because there's, there's no incentive for the game to be cancelled out because Brentford would need to win it if they yep. really mm-hmm. want to be finishing above Norwich. It will be interesting if that is their mindset. I mean, if they do come and think, well, actually, you know, we, we need to be finishing that. It will be a, an indicator, I guess, of where they see their the rest of their season going. I don't for one moment think they're going to come and just sort of try and be quite secure and, and, and you know, take a point, which obviously isn't how it actually manifestly plays out, but would be in the back of their minds, I guess. So that that, that will be a kind of interesting dynamic on, on their part, because to be brutally honest, Norwich will be fine with the draw. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it comes back to what I said, is that in a way, the more boring the game, probably the better the outcome for Norwich. Whereas Brentford, especially David Rye at the back, really has a clangor in him. I've commented in various games this season where he's gifted a goal away. But the other flip side of that, Brentford's response in some of those games, they obviously came back from an early setback, 27 seconds, the goal at the weekend, came back to win. Uh, They had the blip of three games, I think it was, three defeats. And then they've obviously picked back up again and they're, they're sort of really going at it. So having come so close last year, 
The difference with Brentford this season, and the reason I think they're going to be top two, is because the mentality just seems to be there that they're going to try and get over the line. And and that comes from having the attacking hunger that you were discussing there, Michael. We've we've spoken a lot about Brentford in recent weeks, I must admit. Um, but you're right. And they have actually, I think they've picked up more points from any than uh, from losing positions than anyone else in the championship this season. So I think that kind of underpins that, although some would argue, and like my piece about control, that maybe they're, they're having to work harder to get back into decent positions. And if you start getting twitchy, then uh, then it can become more of an issue. Um, and then Luton. they're talking about Norwich this much on the Brentford podcast. Well, no, because there's no outstanding team in the division. So it's just, just like any other game in it, really. Which again is, you know, probably why they'll be perfectly focused. Then, of course, it's Luton, which I guess in 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 a bit like this whole conversation will just get forgotten and then Norwich will probably lose one now. <laughs> I, I do worry that Luton have got Norwich's number this year, Ben. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? The only the only kind of predictable thing about Luton is their unpredictability. I think before they beat us in the league this season, the weekend before they lost 4-0 to Cardiff. Um, so no one would have seen that result coming. No, as you said, Michael, they've obviously beaten us twice this season already. Um, so yeah, obviously all the focus at the moment is on Brentford, but um, yeah, it's, it's difficult to, to figure out what kind of Luton are going to turn up. They got a great comeback win against Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend, mid table side. Yeah. Who knows? But I, I fancy us. <laughs> you sound excited. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, what Norwich will need is obviously 10 players out. Because I think minimum, that's what happened in both games against Luton. So it'd be nice to actually yes. play them with a full strength team or closer than it has been in the other cases. Um, that you'll have to do that in terms of your predictions. I don't know what that was, but that was basically us talking about those games and we will see what happens. It'll be interesting to find out. I think that's the most important thing. So One of my predictions is that I will get angry on multiple occasions at the scheduling of arguably the two best teams in the championship playing at 5.30 on a Wednesday night, which <laughs> is nothing short of disgraceful. We had this last week. I mean, it means it'll be live on Sky, which it wouldn't have been anyway, I think. Hmm. Also, just we're going to pick up six points. So I'm just going to be blasey oh, to annoy you too. What are you saying? Are you talking? Do you mean Brentford as we or Norwich? Oh, come on. That's not even a question. <laughs> on that note, um, it is uh, time for On the Ball this week. Uh, if you're yet to do so, please make sure you subscribe via your podcast player of choice. The pod is available free for everyone on your usual player and then ad free to subscribers of The Athletic via our app. Please leave a review and a rating if you so wish and please spread the word of our efforts across the Norwich City world. Uh, get in touch. Please do ask a question, propose any topics you wish. Sling me a direct message on Twitter at Michael J Bailey. I've got plenty to get through over the coming weeks. In the meantime, a big thank you to our guests this evening. Ben, thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Stu, pleasure as always. Merci beaucoup, mon ami. We will be back next week with another On the Ball and Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, enjoy a brilliant week and never mind the danger. We are clear. Ben and Stuart, welcome to Wits End. Happy? Everyone happy? Yeah, Hi. that was long, it felt, but good. Not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think people will be out there at Wits End with me talking about the bees. So. <laughs>
I mean, I, I, I said that comment about, oh, we've spoken so much about Brentford. It feels like we have, but we are playing Brentford this week. So, uh, you know, it's kind of... Like, yeah, exactly. Like, And, you know, we, we're here to talk about football, aren't we? I hope it's the last we speak of them, actually, this week, apart from next week, obviously. <laughs> Maybe we yeah. won't want to talk about it. Who knows? Um, welcome to Wits End, everyone. Welcome all you Twitterkers. If uh, any of you have stumbled across this for the first time and are wondering what's going on, listen to On The Ball podcast number 42. It went live on September the 8th. And it is all explained there. Um, you can email this part of the podcast directly, Twitterkers, Twitter, K E R S at iCloud.com, or use the hashtag Twitterkers on Twitter. You just don't need to say what it's referring to, just include the uh, hashtag and we'll find it. Gents, think about anything you want to bring up. Uh, obviously, the outstanding website, twitterkers.co.uk, which has been devised by someone out there in the world, um, is, is wonderful. Um, and it had a big banner out on there this morning saying, Happy Keith Day which will be because on Twitter, I tried to thank everyone for my birthday wishes. And for some reason, my autocorrect corrected it to, um, uh, to thanking everyone for my Keith day message messages. I don't, A, I don't understand how that happened. And B, a lot of Keiths were delighted because it was like, oh, Keith day, my day, brilliant. And um, so I think I inadvertently uh, spread a bit of joy. And I well, think now the February the 28th every year should be Keith day. I do find the Apple, like the iPhone um, autocorrect thing confusing sometimes because I'm writing like a, ve a very kind of common standard word and it autocorrects to something like Keith. <laughs> I've got a weird thing that happens in it where like I've misspelled the word with once and what it does is it's saved my misspelling of it, which was W-I-R-H. So now I'll say that I'm uh, going out with loads of people. Well, I mean, I have. I, it took me probably three and a half years of Daniel Farker's four-year reign so far for my phone to learn that Farker is a word. Uh, it was ridiculous. I had to keep, I like, would not accept it as a word. It reminds me of the transcription um, software I uh, used for a period where, uh, you know, try and it would, uh, you know, automatically transcribe what people were saying just to save me some time. Um, but I had to stop using that because the Norwich City head coach was going to slip in um, with, you know, something that wasn't reprintable so uh, i've decided yeah. to ditch that um, i've used similar tools michael and yeah. i've run into similar problems transcription yeah. is the bane of my life and i'm sure <laughs> it's for any <laughs> it is indeed um right we've got some tweets let's uh just rattle through these because we won't be long uh, with uh with wits end this week because it's been a long old pod but um i did want to just on autocorrects it reminds me of sebastian Bassong's um clean sheet declaration absolutely yeah uh, his hashtag clean sheet it didn't quite work out like that letters wise <laughs> i don't know if i'm allowed yeah. to say it but it did become a wonderful running joke and maybe should continue you know norwich are providing all the opportunities at the moment with their number of clean sheets so um maybe that should uh, that should be introduced <laughs> philip arthurton i wanted to give a, a shout out for philip because uh, he um he tweeted the other day that he was waiting for the new on the ball podcast um because he's been listening to the whole thing from the start he discovered it only four months ago and still listened to it first one through so not even at the time the games were happening and he's listened to them all outstanding i'm not sure about uh the exact order but um this is a special wits end shout out for you philip i hope you've now discovered wits end <laughs> and uh you are now an honorary twitter of course like all of us to so paraphrase another comment well no i'll just nick off another commentator take a bow son um <laughs> one thing that i want to bring up right now at this point before we go any further or, or finish up as Norwich City number 40s 
Right, so do oh, we yes. have any answers, oh, we, didn't, we didn't finish it in the main pod. Ah, it's all right. Oh. That just gives people the hook to, um, to, to I want to say, oh, was Leroy Leto, was he a 40 now? He, he wasn't a 40. Right now, I'll give you a clue because it is quite obscure. Uh, both players are still playing locally, but for different teams. Uh, oh, is it someone like Cameron King? Dave, or... Cameron Dave. King is one. Yes. Who's Cameron King? Cameron King. Da- Damon Lathrop, is he still nope. playing? Are they both? At, are they both at Lynn? Nope. The other one's playing locally at a different club. Okay. Locally though. Uh, so it must be a decent standard of player. Also more recent than Cameron King. Uh, I'm not gonna get it. Initials. AP. McCoy. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Alfie Payne. Alfie, Alfie Payne. He was at Kings Lynn, wasn't he? He's, yes. he's now. I think he's at Lowestoft now. Yeah. So we're, we're telling you, Twitterkers, as a first reveal, we'll have to remember to give those answers in the main pod next week because we asked the question in the main pod. <laughs> well, no, that's the, the exclusivity granted to, exactly. to Twitterkers, right? Lucky people. Yeah. Uh, right, wait, time is rattling, uh, doing whatever it does, time. Um, so I'm going to have to apologise to Charlie. I was really going to do the email today, Charlie Bowcutt, but I'm going to have to apologise. Also, I don't know if it's the same Charlie Bowcutt who is related to Alan Bowcutt. It might be because... I, a Charlie Bowkett has written a piece on Brexit and football at MediaRights.law. Um, so give that a, a check out. Hi, that, that's that's really highbrow stuff. Um, also, by the way, has Charlie replaced Ollie as the person yes. we apologise yeah, to? Yeah, not not, right. not deliberately, but that is just how it's happened because you keep. You just out. upset that many people, Michael. Like, <laughs> the problem I mean, you've got, Michael, where your argument falls down is that this isn't a radio show. This podcast can go on for a really no, long no, month, so. no one, no one listening to this wants. <laughs> the concept of running out of time is just false. Running out of time. It's start- shush, Ben. We're running out of time. You can't go on get into, go into this now. Um, so uh, the only other thing I wanted to do is say happy birthday, Martin O'Neill. He's 69 today. This factors into a tweet from Richard because we were discussing about the greatest ever Norwich City goal. He says no further discussion required, Richard. And he's posted three, uh, four pictures, sorry, taken from Martin O'Neill's 89th minute winner against Ipswich which would be December, I can't see it exactly, 28th, 1980. Uh, I should probably know. 19, in fact, it's folded over, and this is from the EDP. Malcolm Robertson wrote the article. How wonderful. Um, 1980 or 81, I'm going to guess, from my memory. Norwich beat Ipswich. I, I have never seen this goal. Um, so in terms of greatest Norwich City goals, I think it was a pile driver, but I don't think I've seen mm. it. So I'm going to need to see this Martin O'Neill goal and judge whether it's the greatest Will there be TV footage of it? That is the question. I don't know. Imagine if not. Not not all games were were covered by TV then. Why don't you get Martin on the phone, Michael, to get him to talk you through it for a piece for The Athletic? I'll ask him. Uh, It's his birthday today, though, so he's probably busy. I I could do even better than that. I could do a rubbish Martin O'Neill impression, my second rubbish managerial impression in the podcast. Go on. You've got got 10 seconds. Oh, ask ask me a question. They'll answer and I'll say, absolutely wonderful. There that's, you go. that's lovely that's much better than your neil warnock impression which by the way you could anyone can do a default neil warnock impression by sounding slightly northern and ending me at the end so you know mm. oh you know he's definitely the best footballer i've ever seen for me no i can't do it now um, uh, oh just great brilliant <laughs> um oh no i love i love delia me that's it that's the one i love, I love Delia. That's, <laughs> that's it anyway let's end this um any other business anyone well, I was going to mention, actually, Stuart brought up that Sunderland game in Bassong. That game, my dad did the crossbar challenge and hit the crossbar twice. Whoa! Unreal. <laughs> Amazing. He won, presumably? Yeah. Oh, he won twice. Yeah. 
did he get double the prize, Ben? I can't remember what the prize was, but it was great because the first, obviously, <laughs> I was watching from the press box. First one, just sort of went in the goal or whatever I'm just thinking yeah there's no way he's gonna do this second one just sort of skimmed the bar and it was like hey from the Barkley <laughs> yeah. and then the third one just rattled into the crossbar yes. it was absolutely brilliant no 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 but it was it wasn't just that right it was I know Billy personally obviously through knowing Ben he took like a total bow in front of the Barkley absolutely <laughs> loved the moment it was legendary this is pertinent because I was thinking the other week like halftime entertainment we obviously there is none now because there's no one to entertain so it's just a one of those things that i think we'll all be grateful for when it comes back and probably a whole lot more appreciative of someone doing a stupid game at halftime because you know what look at it it's happening it's amazing so there we go right, on that note we're going to wrap it up i think unless you've got anything else Stu. No, that's fine. I've spoken more than my quota. I will, <laughs> so I'm all right. I will end any other business. Uh, Stu, thank you so much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. We'll do it again soon. Yes, hopefully, mate. I'm here at your disposal, ever and always. I love it. Ben, top man, thank you very much. Great fun, as always, Michael. Thank I you. I love it. Um, thanks, everyone. Get involved. Twitterkers at iCloud.com. Hashtag Twitterkers. That's it. Time's up. Thanks all. Until next time, as was pointed out on Twitter, that's a rope. The Athletic.